0: The O3C Podcast is a proud member of the HyperX Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of the O3C Podcast, coming to you from O3C Games. My name's Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined by Chris Dow. Tins of peaches, cans of cream. And minty of the booth. A bowl
1: for your peaches and your cream.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and we are chatting about our very favourite video
2: games.
0: Announcement! Announcement!
2: Hey, hey, hey! We have a Patreon. We've got a website. You can go to either of those. Patreon.com slash O3C Games or O3C.Games. If you go to Patreon, there's a whole bunch of bonus stuff you get by pledging just a few quid a month. If you want to pledge more than that, we'd be very, very happy to receive it. But equally... Whichever amount you can give will get you a whole bunch of great stuff. Or the website. It collects together all of our podcasts to date over the last, what feels like, 50 years. A whole bunch of articles, reviews, thoughts, think pieces, and other things written by us three. As well as YouTube stuff. Some pictures, probably. Who knows? There's treats there all the time. We'd love for you to join us on either of those platforms.
0: Yours sincerely. (laughs) mr dow (laughs) your affectionate father mr dow so here we are we had a little week off because uh, somebody shit himself to death didn't they me (laughs) yes sorry about that (laughs) but we are very glad to be back and talking about our very favorite video games of all time our top 100 lists null and void apparently according to all of this season so we're going through our lists we're talking about the games that we want to crowbar into them picking games to leave the list it's just a whole manner of amendments it's the last of the penultimates isn't
2: it it is you're very correct
0: but you're gonna to have to wait a little bit to hear what game i'm going to be putting into my list this week uh, you're gonna to have to wait even longer to find out what game i'm taking out because traditionally we do that in that order, but before we get onto that, let's talk about what we've been playing this week. I'm going to kick us off with uh, the news that I completed Grindstone. Oh, you hero! Completed it. Wow! I hundred percented all the levels. You absolute boy!
1: That's amazing. Just
0: in time for an enormous update to land <laughs> that has pretty much doubled the content of the game.
2: Oh dear.
0: Couldn't believe it. Literally, I, I had a little look uh, on my phone yesterday, and I was like, "That that icon's changed." <laughs> oh God! Oh God! <laughs> oh what, no! What have they done? What have they done? There's a whole other mountain to oh, climb. Uh, no. A whole new like concept, which at first was a little demoralising, but in fact, it's just excellent to have you know more grindstone play so i'm more than happy to keep playing that and i'll keep doing that and uh, i probably won't keep you as updated unless something big happens who knows what's what's lying ahead we're off peace now But in the brief window between completing what there was and this new update, I did turn my attention back to a mobile game called Sping, which you might remember me talking about because, well, I had a fantastic time playing it when it first released on Apple Arcade. I I played it like a madman through to 100%, which I know is very unlike me. (laughs) (laughs) The game is a very simple premise. It's essentially like an action puzzle game where you basically control a ball that is just falling. But then if you tap and hold the screen, you grapple onto grapple points in the stage, at which point you start orbiting them. And then through like precision and timing, you can fling yourself around the stage, trying to avoid obstacles and interacting with, you know, various other elements to get to the goal, whilst trying to gather all of the collectibles on the way. It is just insanely good fun. I think it really is one of the best examples of what I think a mobile game should be, which is playable with one hand in portrait mode. I mean, the simplicity of its core premise means that the developers are having just an extraordinary amount of fun in the design of the stages and the obstacles and all of the different elements in play. But since I 100%ed it upon its launch, it's had about a billion updates, new stages, new modes, all sorts. So I've been having a really, really great time playing through all of that new content as well. And if you haven't checked out Sping, certainly if you've got an Apple Arcade subscription, check it out because it's just such a good game. It's such a good game. I think I think it's the only place to play it, but I could be wrong. I don't know. But have a look for it. Sping, S-P, it's not an I, it's an exclamation mark, N-G. Over on the Switch... Monster Hunter? <laughs> me and my buddy Casper have reached our century of quests beaten in Monster Hunter, Which is quite cool, you get a little stat that says how many times you've played with each other which actually is just how many missions have you beat. We've done a hundred, we finished all of the event quests and the main hub quests in Sunbreak in this new expansion. I managed to finish all of the solo quests in the game and then we turned our attention to the arena quests which are the last things we needed to do in the game and these are really really good fun. They're a bit different to normal quests in a number of ways First of all, they're designed to be two-player quests. You can do them solo, but that's just much harder for no reason if you've got a mate to play it with. It's only a maximum of two as opposed to four on the other ones. You also don't get to choose what weapons and armour you take into the quest in the same way that you do in the rest of the game. So instead, each mission has five preset builds to choose from. And the level of the armour and the weapons are all relative to the monsters you're hunting. So even like the early quests can be quite tough because the gear you're using is quite weak. And because there are like 14 different types of weapon in the game the chances are that the selection of five you're given per mission won't have the weapon you're most familiar with using and even if it is there like the setup of the skills for that weapon might be quite different to what you're used to which can be equally as jarring as you know just trying to learn a whole new weapon so it means that you're forced outside of your comfort zone on most of these quests the good thing is you get to try your hand at a whole bunch of weapons that you probably haven't tried before And, I mean, aside from a couple of the quests, all of these arena missions take place in a small, enclosed arena, as opposed to having to, like, track around an entire massive location. So they're all quite quick and immediate, and, uh, yeah, they're just a very, very different type of challenge. And, I mean, I hadn't even touched these missions from the main game, so me and Casper made our way through all of the ones from main game and then we did the extra challenge set from the main game which are like extra tough ones especially the last quest in that set which i genuinely didn't think we were going to be able to do without just getting a lot of practice in with like one of the weapons we had to choose from but the great thing was just with a bit of strategic chat between me and casper and also then sort of starting to hit a nice bit of rhythm with the dual blades weapon that i was using for that We managed to do it on like our third try, which was just, it was superb. Well done. And then we moved on to the new master arena quests that have been added in the Sunbreak expansion. And like when we looked at them, we thought they looked fairly unimposing, certainly compared to like the challenge ones we'd just done. And like we got through the first master quest pretty easily. But then a short way into the second mission, one of us fainted, which is, you know, fairly commonplace. And all quests have a shared three lives between you. Apart from these ones, which all of a sudden put these quests in a very different light. Because if either of you die once, that's it. The quest is failed. Oh dear. And the tension becomes just extremely high. Because often... These monsters, if they catch you with one big attack, that can stun you, and then they'll follow it up with another attack which will see you off. And especially if you're playing with gear that you're not used to, or you're running out of health potions because there's just a set amount of health potions you get. It's not like you can just go back to your camp and restock. It's just, it's so, so easy to get caught out. And we had like, oh, we just had a massive bowl ache with the third mission in this set. Mainly because at the moment I've got some shittily tethered internet because. BT are a bunch of cunts and my internet connection <laughs> kept dropping out and disconnecting me and uh, I mean this monster as well is really flipping big which means like you can think you're out of harm's way but these massive fucking monolith arms will just like reach you and we even have a moment where like we were right near the end we knew the, the monster was on its last legs and I got disconnected and Casper managed to just finish the last little bit on his own which went down as a win for him but not for me uh, oh. because with all of the lagging and stuff like that I got hit and died but fortunately he hopped straight back in with me to uh, to help me beat it myself so that was really really nice I mean basically we were on a mission then to finish all of the quests mainly our intention was to beat them all before Xenoblade Chronicles 3 came out the last three missions were well two of them were okay Like one of them was against a massive ice werewolf and like we'd had such a hard time with this third mission that we were like sort of breezed through that. And then the next mission five, the penultimate mission, was against this dragon that's just covered in blades. He's sharp all over like Man United in the 90s. (laughs) (laughs)
2: That's
0: good. Thank you. I made that joke to Casper, and because he's American, I had to send him a, a picture of Manu in their sharp-sponsored kit for context, <laughs> just so he knew just how clever and funny I am. Absolutely right to
2: do so. Absolutely right to do so. Yeah, yeah.
0: But again, like we managed to get the better of it, which was really, really good. But then this final mission, you're playing against this variant of a monster called Ray Jang, which is this just monkey, bull, electric monster. And there's, a, there's like an enhanced version of him called the Furious Ray Jang, and he is so fast, so relentless, so strong, and I mean I was using a weapon that I wasn't used to, which was the massive big great sword, which Casper's quite familiar with. So he was sort of leading the charge with that but then like yeah one of us would get hit and then obviously game over and then like we get so close and then like we do like a risky move and it wouldn't pay off and we die i really thought that this this wasn't it there was a couple of nights where we were like look we're not getting anywhere tonight i need to go to sleep he needed to make breakfast or something i don't know what the time difference is and then last night finally we said right let's set aside some time He handed parenting duties over to his wife. I made sure Nora was down for the night. I had a stable internet connection. I was like, we are taking down this absolute fucker. (laughs) Three or four tries in, we were still making the same errors. We were still getting caught out because these weapons are so they're so big that they're really powerful but they're so slow so you really have to sort of like hedge your bets behind like an attack because if you time it wrong you're getting hit if you miss you're getting hit if you don't get enough damage in like it's not worth the risk and it's oh. and then finally we managed to do it oh you beauty i'm incredibly proud of it it was certainly one of my favorite sort of cooperative gaming memories because like we worked so hard not just on that one mission but to get to that point in the hundred quests and stuff we'd won before you know all the way up to that all of the sort of the chat and the strategy and Casper sort of teaching me the ins and outs of the the different weapons we were trying to use and all kinds of things it was just like such a victory and now I've got all the quests checked off in the game which is mad. And I, I've almost tripled my playtime from what I had done before. Wow. Which is, is crazy because, I mean, that shows you just how big this expansion is. <laughs> you know, it really is just, like, the whole game again. But it's also given me sort of, like, renewed interest in in trying out... Because I've tried out some of these other weapons, I'm now, like, going back and sort of trying out some of these other ones and then trying to make builds of armour and all kinds of other bits and bobs to suit those weapons. And oh, it's just it's just so unbelievably addictive like it's it's crazy it's so good it's so good and so versatile, that's the thing, like, the range of different weapons you've got means you can play the game in so many different ways. I'm so glad that there's still content going to be coming out, there's going to be new quests being added in, me and Casper are still going to be jumping back in to do those together and I'll probably keep playing and tweaking my build, you know, and uh, harvesting various materials to make various weapons of various things, because it's just so goddamn fun to play. And also, I bought Monster Hunter World on Steam Deck, uh, which I know doesn't quite have as many quality of life improvements as were introduced in Rise, but I remember when I played Monster Hunter World and I was just like, I've got no fucking clue what I'm doing and sort of wrote it off. I reckon that I'll know my way around at least what the game's trying to get me to do. And Casper's bought it on Steam as well, so we're going to be doing some co-op on that when I get my internet back up and running so I can download that 80 gig file or whatever it is. Jeez, yeah, yeah. Monster Hunting. tell you what, I'm so glad I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Because it is is so, so good. It's so good. And I must say, it's probably worth saying now that given all of this stuff that I've enjoyed in the game, since I spoke about it in my amendments, its position on my list is certainly rising from where (laughs) I placed it then. Which I think was like in the 30s or 40s. And I really wouldn't be surprised if this is tickling the top 10 uh, when it comes to the final reshuffling. Because uh, yeah, it's just... Absolutely outstanding. What an absolute game. Chris, what have you played this week?
2: No prizes if anyone wants to guess that I'd basically just spent all my free time this last week and a bit fucking around with the Steam Deck. Wee, wee. That's... The more I play it, the more I think this is a machine that the whole MO was just make a device for Christopher Michael Dow. Because <laughs> it's such an all-things-to-all-people machine. But in that hypothetical spread of audiences, I feel like, depending on what mood I'm in, I'm part of every pool because if you want to just play Steam games out of the box, there's now thousands of Valve verified titles that will install and run and take zero tweaking to enjoy. So, as an example, a few days ago I installed the open world Mad Max game. The Steam Deck will run it with all visual settings maxed out.
0: Mad maxed out.
2: What right, you all right? You all right? <laughs> it's just ungodly tech that's putting the PlayStation 4 and Xbox console versions to shame. Yeah. And it's a fun enough game and it probably cost me like three quid when I picked it up and it looks incredibly good on the Steam Deck screen. I'm not going to play the whole thing, (laughs) you know, but it was three pounds. It was three pounds and it runs out of the box. I also picked up the recent Aliens Fireteam Elite game on the PS5 a little while ago and it's just sat on the shelf. You know, I haven't even unwrapped it on PlayStation 5, but because it was in a Steam sale for about 12 quid, I thought, oh, you know, I'll give it a go. And it's obviously not as performant as a 4K PlayStation 5 home console version, but it does run with minimal hassle on a handheld, and I can play it whilst I'm having a poo. So absolutely (laughs) the better version. You know, then there's the tens of thousands of titles that aren't currently verified, like the ones I mentioned last episode, that will run with just a little bit of tweaking. And that kind of satiates those that quite enjoy fiddling with a config file or doing some message board deep diving to work out why something isn't working. And that's, you know, games like the Halo Master Chief Collection, for instance. And I still don't think there's there's many greater feelings for me than to be told this won't work and then you get it to work. And it, it just gives me <laughs> a real buzz. And then finally, there's the potentially infinite number of non-Steam games and emulators and God knows what else that have no official support from Valve But every possibility of working, if you're willing to use your head... And your heart. And your heart. (laughs) (laughs) Like, this week, I spent a good four or five hours one morning, like, scratching my noggin, all to try and get Fancy Star Online working on the deck. Obviously. And when it eventually launched and it ran flawlessly, and it connected to a new fan server I found that has hundreds of concurrent players day and night, I could have wept. (laughs) (laughs) It felt like such such an achievement. You know, you've got this spread of experiences, and some days I just want to play something without any faff. So I finished off Glass Masquerade on the deck the other day. Oh, nice. The machine really nicely picked up that my laptop saved via Steam Cloud without a problem. The trackpad worked great as a mouse replacement. I played it for two, three hours whilst watching TV. Just... Beautiful game, great time. I rebought Res Infinite the other day in a sale as well just to have it. <laughs> and again, being able to play that on a handheld whilst nestled in bed with headphones feels unreal, <laughs> like absolutely unreal. That's wonderful. And then. Some days, you know, I I do like that moderate challenge of beating the system, like I said, and I choose one of the many sort of unsupported titles and I try and figure out why it's apparently not able to work. And it's not even about playing the game so much at that point. It's just about testing myself, I guess, and expanding my computer knowledge a bit to the point that... When a game boots straight away without issues, despite it having that unsupported tag, it's actually a bit disappointing <laughs> because the meta game of fixing that I wanted wasn't actually there. And then, like I mentioned, there's the Fancy Star Online days where I settle in for like a proper marathon of tweaking. I've got a hundred tabs open on my laptop trying to demystify compatibility wrappers and file systems and drivers and fan-made workarounds. I just, I fucking love it. <laughs> and the reward for that trial at least is being able to play a game that I love Rejuvenated by just being on this piece of witchcraft technology, I've played Fancy Star Online now for probably I don't know seven eight hours these last kind of few days. I'm having a real blast because it's a game I've got a weird misplaced nostalgia for. And you probably remember when it came off my list. I talked mainly about going to watch Arsenal play as a kid yeah. When Sega and the Dreamcast were the club sponsors. Fancy Star Online is a game I feel an intense childhood connection to, despite having never played it until I was in my late twenties. <laughs> <laughs> it's a warm hug of a game. And the fact that I can now play it on the deck alongside Res Infinite, alongside the original top-down Grand Theft Auto, alongside Mad Max and Aliens that I mentioned earlier, and alongside fucking Parappa the Rapper 2 on the PlayStation 2, <laughs> it makes me want to cry. <laughs> it's, like, it's such a wonderful thing. I want to set you a challenge. Yes.
0: I want you to be able to get all of your top 100 lists running on
2: the Steam Deck. I've set that for myself. I've already said it. <laughs> <laughs> I started making a spreadsheet the other day where I was trying to work out, okay, well, what games have native PC versions that I either already own or I could buy? What games would I have to emulate? What games am I going to have to kind of like think outside the box a bit for? And I genuinely believe the only one that I would not be able to play at all is Pokemon Go because obviously it, it needs you to use a phone to be out in the world. The other 99, I think you could do. So leave that with me. I listened to a podcast called Insert Credit And on a semi-recent special, they attempted to rank the greatest consoles of all time. One of the panellists offered the PC as his pick with the justification that it basically played anything. And although I and the other panellists didn't feel it was really in the spirit of the show because they were talking (laughs) about specific console hardware, the Steam Deck feels like an actual console. And if that had been proffered as a suggestion, I don't think I would have minded. Because when you take it down to its nuts and bolts, it is still a PC, but it's such... A potentially consoleized experience that even with its price tag the value proposition for a casual gamer is is fantastic and then for someone like me who just wants to play around it's immeasurable i think it is an absolutely astonishing thing and i'm excited already to think about okay well, what does the steam deck version 2 look like in two three years what does this look like going into the future because this could be the only thing i end up using who knows it's been bananas really bananas
0: I'm very excited that you've got it now because I know that you are gonna make mine better. <laughs> <laughs> I'll install my top hundred on yours. <laughs> Minty, what have you played this week?
1: A decent bit of stuff actually. I have played through and completed both Portal and Portal Two Ooh. to begin with. Ooh, That's
0: fantastic. Nice.
1: Yes, uh, I saw that it was a very reasonable price for the two of them on the on the Switch in the, was it called, the Companion Collection or something That's like that? That's the one. I never played the original, but I love the second one. So it was nice to see uh, what it was about this little game packaged in with the orange box that really gripped people and sort of touched something in their hearts that spawned this, this excellent sequel. And yeah, both really, really great. It was really nice just playing through number two again because I I have this memory of these levels. Because outside of the testing, where you've got all the puzzles and everything, or it's like drop cube onto box or get rid of the sentry, it was so good just seeing the puzzle-solving elements taken out into the wider world as you're trying to traverse the underground aperture labs. It's
0: just masterful. Yeah,
1: really, really incredibly well-designed. Yeah, writing is good as well, of course. One of the things that the games are famed for, really. I'm trying to convince Catherine to play through the co-op mode with me because I've never actually done it all the way through. I've done, I think, I've done the first five levels. We did that, didn't we? Done a little bit with you, and I've done a little bit with Steve as well. Maybe I'll wear her down, maybe I'll convince her, maybe she'll enjoy it, we'll never know. I've started playing Quake again, started playing Quake on hard mode now, and being a lot less liberal with my use of quick saving. I played through the first two episodes of Vanilla Quake, and then I moved on to uh, one of the mission packs I'd never actually played, um, I thought I had, but... Uh, I hadn't, so I've been playing through Dissolution of Eternity, which I believe was in the second mission pack for the original Quake when it came out, which has really fun historical set pieces. I've just gone through a, I guess like a pyramid, um, the Temple of Osiris. It's really good. I'm really enjoying it. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying the fact that I'm actually good at it as well. I thought oh, medium is going to be my, my skill limit, but yeah, I've hardly saved at all playing through it. I've only saved maybe twice. Once on a hard level. And then once, so that I could pick back up, when I have finished playing through what is going to be my main game for goodness knows how long now, I've started playing Digimon Survive.
0: Oh, Ooh. yeah, of course. Yeah. Which I picked
1: up uh, the day it came out. Oh, boy, this is quite something. I'd, I'd just like to say, if you are one of the people that are uh, review bombing it on Metacritic, get a fucking life, you twats. <laughs>
2: It's pathetic, isn't it? It really it's is. pathetic.
1: I don't understand why people are getting so upset about the fact that this game, which has, from everything that I've seen about it, from the get-go, been a visual novel with strategy RPG elements, I don't know why people are now playing it, and complaining that it's a visual novel with some strategy rpg elements it's it's fucking ridiculous it really is
0: yeah it's like saying tetris is a really bad racing game yeah yeah (laughs) one out of ten (laughs) i I, I saw i saw
1: videos and the pieces were going fast but (laughs) shut up all of you anywho yeah i'm really enjoying it so far i don't think i'm out of the tutorial just yet it's one of these games where every single dialogue choice you have has an effect not necessarily on the story but on your affinity with each character and then your affinity with each character has an effect on the battle it might have an effect on the story i don't know just yet but you've got all the characters that you're in this creepy abandoned school with trying to survive i'm just in the place now where we found some rations which is nice so you've got your affinity with all the different classmates there who've got their own digimon who they are also um, interacted with and gaining affinity with and all the rest of it. But there's also branching dialogue choices where you can increase three parameters. One's called Moral, one's called Wrathful, and the other one is called Harmony. I don't know what they do just yet, and every single time there's a dialogue option, I'm absolutely crippled (laughs) because I'm like, I want to do this. It will probably be better if I did this one, though. And then this one should happen, but I don't want to do it. I'm having real trouble with it, but it's great. The battling system is fun. It's, like, um, it's grid-based. It's like Fire Emblem or Disgaea. With a little bit of Shimogami Tensei thrown in because you can... Cock. <laughs> well... Did you cock? Not just yet, no. Wagamon. Wagamon. <laughs> You can recruit Digimon, which I haven't been able to nail just yet because instead of just being like, here, take some money, here, take some items, it's like they ask you questions and you have to get a gauge on their personality and answer again. A multiple choice quiz to try and get them to join you. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, <laughs> it can get a bit frustrating if you think, here's the pink bird. This pink bird is friendly, doesn't like fighting, it likes food. You pick all those options and it's just like, oh man, you're so lame and just flies away or sort of gives itself a buff for the rest of the battle. Although that said, I, I haven't actually Taken their, their their elemental attribute into account when I'm doing that quiz, which is just something I've thought of there. So I'll do that in the next battle and see how I get on. But no, really enjoying it so far. It's it's creepy in places. I saw a ghost. Ooh, Spookemon. Yeah, and I think I don't know so far, but I think this abandoned school that we're in is in the digital world. I think it's like a parallel dimension thing going on, which would explain why there are some glitches that you can only see with your phone. You take a photo of it to get an item or trigger a random encounter. Yeah, got my first digivolution. My Agumon digivolved into Tyrannomon, which I've seen in the, in the publicity. So I think based on what your morality, wrathfulness or harmony, whichever one was stronger, it would change into a different one. But I think that was just a, a story evolution which gives me great hope because X-Tyranimon is my favourite Digimon. So I'm hoping I get to get that on my team at some point. But like I said, early days here. I don't think I'm out of the tutorial, but I'm really enjoying it. I'm going to be playing it for years and years and years because I can imagine that I will be playing through it again and again to get all the different um, story paths, every different um, affinity with, with all the different characters and, and all the Digivolution trees as well. There's going to be a lot in here. I can just I can sense it. One last thing I've been playing as well. I've been playing a game on my phone called Golf Blitz. Kind of inspired by Chris playing everybody's golf uh, week in, week out. <laughs> I, th- I thought I'll pick up a nice multiplayer golf game as well. It's quite fun, I guess. It's just a 2D tournament type thing where they've got, got all these crazy courses. You're against three other people. Then you have to not get it in in the least amount of shots, but in the quickest. It's a race. All of your balls can bounce off each other, so you can knock people away from the hole, as I like to do, if somebody's just about to sink it into the hole. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, fun little characters, uh, nice costumes. The levelling system is fun. You open up packs of cards which have points for upgrades for your abilities and your costumes. And when you unlock an ability or a costume, it gives you XP, which you then use to level up, increase your stats. It seems like a good balance. I am having fun playing it. Yeah,
0: that's me, actually.
2: Jonathan. Hello. It's your time, sir. Do you want to
0: know what my penultimate amendment is? My pen My pen (laughs) (laughs) Yes? Yeah,
1: pop us on your knee. Tell us a story.
0: Oh, there we go. Well, my penultimate amendment for this season is an incredibly special game. It's a game that I wanted to play for years. It looked stunning from what I'd seen. It was meant to be one of the greatest indie games. It was one of the biggest proponents of the argument of video games as art it was touted as one of the best platform games one of the best metroidvania games but until the last couple of years uh, it was an xbox exclusive until moon studios brought ori and the blind forest to the switch oh oh you knew it was coming
2: i kind of forgot but it's <laughs> gonna go high isn't it
0: it's gonna go high well you'll find out So before I start, it's worth saying what an incredible porting job has been done with this game. It's nigh on impossible to see the difference in the graphics or the performance between the Switch version and the original version, obviously on a much more powerful machine. There's zero loading times between areas, it's just all so seamlessly put together and it's a really lovely fit for the handheld as well. There's so much beautifully realised, whimsically fantastical intricately designed environments, it is like having, like, this whole little fantasy world in your hands. I mean, it was a no-brainer for me to buy this day one on the eShop and make a start on it straight away. And I I knew I was in for a treat. But I wasn't expecting the almost entirely wordless story to make me cry within the first ten minutes.
2: Oh, you weenie!
0: (laughs) Sometimes your words hurt. (laughs) Absolutely stunning storytelling from just these gorgeously designed characters, so much heart and warmth and depth being conveyed with so little, and the story continues to be this beautifully told throughout the whole game. All of the emotional beats land, all of the plot twists, surprise, and the ending is just gloriously cathartic. So what is the game actually? Ori and the Blind Forest is a 2D side-scrolling platform metroidvania. You play as an adorable little spirit called Ori who is trying to restore the life to the forest where he lives that is dying. You explore and fight through this forest on your journey as you gain various abilities, helping you to attack in different and stronger ways and new movement mechanics to help you traverse the increasingly perilous terrain. Now, as I've said about countless other games, the story and setting may be beautiful and wonderful, but if it doesn't have the gameplay to back it up, it ultimately fails as a video game experience. And I mean this when I say that Ori and the Blind Forest is just one of the very, very best feeling 2D games to play. I mean, it's really no surprise that this, Dead Cells and Hollow Knight are all ranking very high in my list now, because all three of those refine what has been established in video games since... I mean, pretty much since the very beginning. How do we get, you know, your character from A to B whilst having the most fun? And the fluidity with which both the movement and fighting mechanics work is just so, so much fun to do. When I was originally playing Ori, way back when on the podcast, I cited the 3D Mario games as a bit of a reference point because of that sense of, you know, seeing your point B from your current point A, and wondering what combination of mechanics you need to employ to possibly reach it. Like, surely it's impossible. You know, you you definitely need another mechanic before you can get there. Or do I? (laughs) (laughs) And the same sense of satisfaction when you pull off all manner of aerial acrobatics and string in a few precise attacks to give you the right boost and elevation to reach then just a little, little something secret is just absolutely mighty. One of the things that really delighted me in the game was the type of abilities that you unlock. Like When you play a Metroidvania, you kind of know what mechanics you're going to get. There's going to be some sort of crawl or a roll, there's going to be a double jump, there's going to be a grapple hook of some kind. But the way that Moon Studios have designed the concepts around Ori are so refreshingly different. Like because you're a spirit, there's this sort of floaty quality to your abilities. You don't really hold a weapon, you've got this sort of uh, circling orb dealing damage, and things are built on forces and momentum and verticality and, and fluidity. There's a lot of techniques that are actually quite difficult to describe that require you to like set a thing, a bit of something and grab onto it and I don't know, like repel <laughs> something, like repel a projectile and then do a, to, to then go in the other direction you know? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, it's also a lot less complicated than it sounds. But there's this sort of transcendental quality to it all that you'll only really get if you experience it directly and when you do, you'll never have felt anything like it. It's just so so wonderful. And this world is just really really lovely to spend time in. The design has just got a, a wonderful artistic quality to it i mean it could be out of a, a studio ghibli film it's all like hand painted and the, the most remarkable thing is there's no repeated assets in the game there aren't scrolling backgrounds there aren't stock things everything that you see in the game there's just one of it even down to the trees in the background and everything it gives this forest that you're in just a very definitive sense of existence you know these aren't levels or areas or biomes you're you're in a forest. I think another thing that I mentioned when I was playing it originally is that the developers cited the original Rayman as a direct reference point when they were making Ori. Uh. They wanted to make a, a sort of spiritual successor to that. And like you can see Rayman's floating fingerprints all over this <laughs> in like the absolute best way possible. And there's a lot that I really, really love about where like Rayman has developed to. Like In the original Rayman game, the tone is, is bright and colourful, but, but slightly mournful in this sort of toy box whimsical almost fever dream psychedelic nature to it and in like the more recent rayman games like origins and legends it's gone to this sort of madcap bluegrass slapstick uh show that is incredibly fun those games are phenomenal and it's a really really great fit for where they've taken the design of rayman but that like original cinematic vision of the original Rayman game just the most awe-inspiring soundscape and just all the different elements that that are in play it always sort of saddened me a little bit that the Rayman series didn't really retain that after the first game but that is what is exactly here in Ori and it's just it's so so wonderful just to have what I wanted to be honest to so have your cake and eat it exactly I'm gonna have my Ray cake and eat it and so much of the atmosphere that is created in Ori is It comes down to the work of Gareth Coker, who's the composer of the soundtrack. It is one of the most beautiful soundtracks I've ever heard. It's got themes that are so evocative and emotional. It's got dramatic pieces with thumping 5-4 rhythms. It never lets up its quality for a single second. It is so perfectly interwoven with the aesthetics and the storytelling in the game that, that what you get as a complete product I think is one of the most effective experiences you'll get in any medium. I can't overstate just how amazing the music is in the game, like, there's not many video game soundtracks that I'll listen to outside of the game. This is absolutely one of them. Rayman was also absolutely one of them. And yeah, this joins a handful of those soundtracks that are just utterly, utterly stunning. I said earlier that I've never had an Xbox of any kind but the closest I, I came to actually getting one is when uh, Orion the Will of the Wisps came out as an Xbox One exclusive and I played Ori and the Blind Forest on the Switch at this point and I was so so tempted to just pick up an Xbox literally just so I could play the sequel but fortunately at the start of first lockdown my next door neighbour John asked if I wanted to borrow his Xbox One so this was a perfect opportunity and i borrowed it and i bought a copy of will of the wisps and had an absolutely wonderful time playing it it's quite amazing how they managed to breathe so much new life into the game like much in the way that well i don't know yet but i I really hope that team cherry are going to be doing with hollow knight silk song which could easily just be the same setup again but like what moon studios did with will of the wisps was very smart in that they took things in quite a different direction they changed the way that upgrades and abilities worked, they changed the way that the movement worked, and there were many abilities that I'd get and be like, what is this? This isn't an ability. This seems absolutely crap, or or worse, just useless. Uh, But then you'd be presented with environments and scenarios that get you to think in such a different way whilst using those abilities. Again, it's just incredibly refreshing and just masterfully designed. Like will of the wisps is, is a fantastic game. It didn't have the same impact as The Blind Forest probably because it wasn't the first time I'd played an Ori game I'd really had hoped that I was going to get a chance to play through both games again before I spoke about them but I mean honestly those monsters don't hunt themselves do they? (laughs) (laughs) Especially as I've got will of the wisps on switch now and the port is meant to be equally as good and I, I really want to play both games on the oled screen as well so maybe in i don't know 200 hours when i'm finished with zanabay 3 i might do a little ori double bill i might stream it as well why not you can watch me all cry <laughs> so what's leaving my list where's this going now when we planned this season there were times when this was sitting at number one. Oh boy and maybe if I'd had the chance to replay it before today, it could have been pushed even a few places higher still. but
2: Higher than number one?
0: <laughs> no, no. Sorry. And if,
2: Negative okay. two. <laughs>
0: <laughs> maybe if I'd had the chance to replay it before today, it could have been higher than, than where I've ended up placing it. But it is still going in the top ten.
2: Wow.
0: And I've provisionally placed it at number seven. Oh,
2: the highest game so far.
0: Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I can't overstate just how much the game means to me. It's wonderful. It's one of the three games that I've immortalised on my wall in canvas prints. That All three games kind of gave me the same feeling, which was uh, something that just transcended gaming for me and just became an intensely sort of personal experience for, for one reason or another. Those three games are The Witness, Outer Wilds, and Ori and the Blind Forest. Good trio. Yeah, just absolute masterpieces. It saddens me that I'm going to be getting rid of a really great game today. I mean, obviously all of the games in our top 100s are. We know it's tough, but it's happening. This game that I'm losing, it's a game that it absolutely blew my mind when I first played it. And to be honest, if I replay it now, I'll probably kick myself for taking it out. I mean, I'll probably kick the furniture and the dog as well, because it's a VR game. <laughs> Super hot VR is so, so good. It's such a great experience, but I don't know. There's something of the tech demo to it. I think. Yeah. And like the hardware, I played it on the PSVR. has too many wires for me to really feel free playing it, and I haven't had the space or time to play it. You know, without wires on my Oculus. But I think the the main issue I have with like the more active VR games is that like I might have the time. I might have the energy, I might have the space to play one, but I never have all three of those things at the same time. (laughs) Yeah. So unfortunately, I'm taking Superhot VR out of the list, but I am so, so glad to have Ori and the Blind Forest in my list, right near the top. It is a masterpiece, and I just cannot express how much I love it and how much I think everybody would love it if they played it. So please play it, love it. Tell me how right I am.
1: It was nice watching you play it. I've never played it myself, but it was... Uh, had a very striking aesthetic, I remember, and a huge bird.
0: Mm, there is we, a big bird in it. Yeah, yeah from Sesame yeah, Street. He's
1: there. Big yellow fella.
0: Yeah, one unexpected mm. crossover. Oh. Yeah, it, it it
1: looked really fun to play. Those sling stars from Super Mario Galaxy is what I would like, in that sort of orb-in-the-sky mechanic to be most like. Mm. But then it was... Fairly one of a kind implementation of that sort of thing, really. Mm. Yeah.
0: Yes. So many fresh ideas in such a like a familiar sort of setup. You know, wonderful, wonderful stuff. Mm. You'd love it as well, Chris. If nothing else, just for the five four. Yeah. Five four time signature of some of the tracks on the soundtrack. <laughs> so good. So good so there we go that was my amendment my penultimate amendment was Ori and the Blind Forest what a wonderful game I'm going to go and play it now <laughs> I'm not I'm going to go and hunt some monsters <laughs> if you've enjoyed this episode or if you've enjoyed any of our episodes please do share the podcast on your social media platforms tag a friend get them to listen to the show get them to subscribe and uh, and then, then all leave us reviews on various things telling us uh, how great we are that'll help I think maybe possibly not go to our website o3c.games read our reviews read our articles watch our videos listen to old episodes of the show and if you want to support us go to the support page you can find a link to our Patreon you can find a one-off donation button to give us a little PayPal pay packets that would be lovely we'd very much appreciate that and it would really help us to be able to continue the show going after this season if you want to reach out to us you can do that individually you can target
2: me on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn <laughs> you can target me at Chaz underscore Hodges
1: Set me in your sights at Clement underscore boom.
0: (laughs) And please do join us next week when Minty will be amending his top 100 list for the very last time. Now.
2: See ya. And now a word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor.
1: Explode when Defeated presents something really neat and full of meat.
0: Those children aren't going to protect themselves in a brand new podcast series about everyone's favorite giant reptile. Godzilla? No, we already did that one. Rodan? Nope, uh, we did that one too. Gorgo? Gamera. We're talking about Gamera.
1: From turtles to medieval samurai golems on our
0: new series, Demolition Die. Only on the HyperX Podcast Network.
1: I'm Colette. And I'm Matt. It's time to talk about the most important topic facing humanity. Climate video games. Change.
0: Oh, okay, video games. <laughs>
1: Every week on Colette and Matt have entered the chat. We have in-depth conversations about the games we're currently playing.
0: We also talk to people who make video games as well as YouTubers, writers, and podcasters that you already know and love. We also talk about what you're playing when you join our community. Subscribe to Colette and Matt have entered the chat wherever you get your favorite podcasts.
2: Classes back in session and HyperX has the grade A gear you need for dorm life, remote classes and for schooling folks online.
0: Shop the HyperX back to school deals going on at hyperx.com to help make your return to student life a breeze. Comfortable cloud headsets can help keep you focused and you cram for finals with some lo-fi beats and stay productive with lightweight pulse fire mice, responsive alloy keyboards and more. Keep your GPA and your KDA high with HyperX products and accessories.